are the people I truly serve. Salmons, this is year zero. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with James Gentleman of the Blackbird Podcast. James and I decided to take a deep dive into responsibility. It's intense. <laughs> we we get into it a lot. We talk about personal things, a lot of personal experiences for both of us and are probably things that we normally wouldn't talk about. But um, we both enjoyed this conversation, I feel. And I think this is a conversation that a lot of people are going to get a lot of things out of that you can actually put to use in your own life and actually learn from. So, Before we get into the podcast, ryanbunting.com. For all of your graphic design needs, go to ryanbunting.com. Ryan Bunting is a great libertarian and a half-ass anarcho-capitalist. And, eh, he fucks around with goddamn graphic design. So, go to ryanbunting.com. If you want your podcast logo to look similar to mine or Pete Quinones, Ryan Bunting did that at ryanbunting.com. And his book's pretty fucking good too, Project Manicore. You can get it at ryanbunting.com as well. And thank you, Tom Burton, for the music. Enjoy the show. Chord. All right, I am here with Mr. James Gentleman, and I am so happy to have him here. What's going on, Bo? Hey, Tommy. Thanks for having me, man. Just uh, uh, sitting here enjoying my Sunday. Yeah, yeah. It's always nice to enjoy a Sunday. So, you bailed me out because I thought I had enough padding to get through this training for a new job, and I was like, "Oh shit, I'm one episode short. I need help. <laughs> Somebody, please." And so you stepped up to the plate and you're like, I'll do it, dude. And I was like, and here I am. I'm far be it from me to turn down any, any free publicity. (laughs) Well, and you happen to, you've spent time with one of my really good friends, Gord in Washington, DC at one of the unregistered. Oh, he's, he's one of the best people I've ever met. I love Gord to death. Gord has provided me with a lot of alcohol. Like we we spent we spent a weekend together, and that's about it. And I think he's probably support su- supplied me with more free whiskey than probably anybody else in the world. I'm usually the one supplying. So, uh, <laughs> if if nothing else, I appreciate his flask. If you ever want some really interesting stories from truck driving, you got to get him on your show, man, dude. You're not kidding. He's he has got some of the coolest stories. Uh, like going to New Zealand and Australia, ice road trucking in Canada. Like, I mean, he's done it all. How did he drive a truck to New Zealand? Well, he didn't drive to New Zealand. He drove a truck in New Zealand. (laughs) He drove those road trains, (laughs) man, where they got like five trailers. Man. Yeah. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. He's got some really cool stories. And he's listening right now. So, hi, Gord. Hi, Gord. He listens to every one of my podcasts. He's one of the most. He's going to be a locker too, right? I'm sorry? Is he going to be in Lockhart with us? He will. He will. Nice. Great. Yep. Great. Yeah. 
So I sold my soul to Gord to get my tickets. So <laughs> I don't nice. I'm not, I'm still not sure exactly what I have to give him in return. He's like, don't give me money. And I'm like, uh, what do you want? He's like, you will find out. And I was like, oh, this is oh. fucking very ominous. Man, and he's Canadian too, so yes, like, he is. you never know. <laughs> I was like, dude, I will not blow you. <laughs> but yeah, no, but no, Gord is really one of the one of the best people I've met since I started podcasting. And if not for starting podcasting, I wouldn't have met a lot of the people I have met, mm -hmm. which I'm very thankful for. You know, and uh, I don't know if nothing. Not that yeah, it has it does go for me. I've got like lots of people's phone numbers in my contacts and stuff who like I wouldn't have otherwise. That is not to say that we encourage more libertarians to to start more podcasts because I think the market's flooded right now. But you know, I mean, if if one of us stops recording, maybe you can take our spot. Yeah, well, no, I mean, start the podcast. If the market will speak, if you're better than us, then we'll have to stop eventually. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't believe in free markets. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Not anymore. I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah, get exactly. The I want the, the government it, to it. regulate this shit. As, as soon as as soon as you enter the market and start and start building, you know, a, a bit of a, a bit of an audience or a, a clientele, that's when you raise the the drawbridge. You start you start calling for regulations. We can get Tom Woods and Dave Smith to write the regulations. You know they'll do it. It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Tom Woods won't even sign a pledge that he's against Nazis. So I, I don't know if he'll write anything. Ugh. Man, I hate those fucking Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we decided we wanted to talk about responsibility. And, it, you know, it's um, yeah, it's a subject that I don't think enough libertarians talk about. And at my age, with five kids, um, having been married, responsibility is a big thing to me. Because responsibility is it's all I've ever been really like taught. I, it was hammered into my head as, as a child. Like you gotta, you gotta take responsibility, you know? And one of the ways my dad taught me to take responsibility is he, he always used to tell me that it was much better if I were busy with something, if I were doing something productive than not doing anything at all, because somebody who's doing something productive is not going to put themselves in a position to get in trouble. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I found that to be true because I've gotten in plenty of trouble in my life. So I I've learned that I'm, I'm a busybody now. Like I'm always doing something, either I'm out in the yard, I'm yeah. working, I'm doing something, uh, always. And what I've, what I've had to try to do is figure out, what is the best use of use of my time? So re responsibility without direction is, is kind of useless, right? It's, it's like if, if you feel responsible for something that has no consequence to it, then that's like, whatever, you're kind of you're kind of just, you know, treading water, I guess you would say, mm -hmm. spinning your wheels. But, but responsibility is a very important thing and taking responsibility for things that are important in your life. And so we decided that this would be a really good topic to move forward on. Yeah. So my thoughts on it, I guess, um, just to kind of lay a baseline is, uh, so I agree with some of the great thinkers, like, um, 
Harry Brown, I think, was uh, freedom and responsibility are the same thing. Basically, they're like they're not they're not they're not just they're not just like related to one another. They're the, they're they they are the same thing. Mm. Um, to me, though, I I, I kind of differ with a lot of more like conservative leaning people, I guess, in that I don't really believe in duty. Like for me, responsibility is something that that you assume for yourself. It's not something that's thrust upon you. Mm-hmm. Um, that's easy for me to say because I don't have kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, like my responsibilities are the things that I choose to be responsible for. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the other hand, the things that I choose not to be responsible for, if my neglect there, if that results in me being neglectful of something that will, um, the, that will then like harm the community that I'm in or harm the social relationships that I build, um, then that's my, that's also my burden to bear. Yeah. Well, you bring up kids and I I think that's a, that's a good pivot point because I I told, you know, we were talking, I have five children. So Mm -hmm. it was going through divorces and and having ex-wives with, with your kids and, and trying to figure out how do you, especially at a young age, you know, I had kids when I was young. I told you earlier, I had three kids by the time I was 23 years old and got divorced the first time. So it was, it was always trying to figure out like, how do you balance this? Right. And how do you have the relationship with your children and, and also provide for them. And I, I ended up in a line of work, truck driving that did not allow for time with anything. I was gone all the time. I was always gone. I was, even if I was working locally, it was, I mean, I was home long enough to sleep, take a shower and go back to work. And so it really affected my relationship with my children. And so the responsibility I had to be nurturing those relationships I neglected because of my responsibility to provide financially. You see what I'm saying? So you have to, there has to be a conscious decision whenever you're going into these things. I didn't consciously decide to neglect my children's desire to have a relationship with me. I was so concerned about providing for them financially. And I think it was because I came from a household in which my dad at one point was working three full-time jobs. Mm-hmm. We were really poor. We were living in government housing and my mom was working full-time. We were eating. I mean, seriously, we ate peanut butter and jelly and oatmeal for probably six years. That's all we ate because it's all we could afford. So coming from that kind of background where my dad was always gone working and my mom was gone working and we were like in daycare all the time, I felt it was more responsible of me to be gone working and providing financially. But then it kind of like hit, kicked me in the ass later on in life. Whenever my daughter and I started having tension in our relationship because she was like, well, you abandon us. And it was like, well, my, my intention was never to abandon you. That, that wasn't what I was trying to do. I was trying to provide for you and make sure that you had luxuries that maybe I was unable to have when I was a child and doing so financially. So it, there is a balance whenever you're talking responsibility. 
Yeah, because you got a lot of overlapping and often con, uh, conflicting responsibilities. I mean, and especially as a parent, you know, uh, the and actually that story is pretty common. You know, whether whether it's a whether it's a a poor dad working three jobs or a rich dad working at eighty hours a week in his business, mm. you know, it's it's the kids are often they often feel neglected, even if the dad uh, or the mom, you know, I mean, the, right. I think probably mothers are more often. Well, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to speak statistically, but uh, a neglectful mom looks different from a neglectful dad. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, neglectful mom might be the, might be the one who, and this is, this is stereotypes and I, you know, I hate to use stereotypes, but it, it, you know, I mean, stereotypes exist for a reason. A neglectful mom might be the, might be the wine mom who is, you know, drinking a, drinking a bottle of wine a day uh, or at night when the kids come home from school to take the edge off from her own, whatever she was doing during the day, going grocery shopping and all that shit. Um, and, uh, you know, the kids, the kids feel completely overlooked when mom is drunk all night. Whereas with dad, it's like, you know, dad's gone all day and then on the phone with, you know, business partners or traveling or whatever it is uh, for work. Right. Um, you know, I mean, and I, I don't necessarily want to make this all about parenting, but parenting is, you know, kind of the the responsibility that makes our species continue. So it's pretty important. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And it, it's something I've struggled with, like, um, since my kids have gotten older, um, my my youngest is 16. Um, he just turned 16. And uh and my oldest is he'll be 23. And so it's something I have to struggle with. I'm, I'm, I, I look at it and, and my youngest is, is, is one of those outgoing types. And he's always messaging me because I'm, I get so caught up in my daily routine and doing what I'm doing, trying to produce whatever I'm trying to produce, going through what I'm trying to do. And that I don't even, I don't even think to call my wife sometimes, you know, so yeah, it's like, know. it's yeah. like, let alone, let alone anybody else. And, but he reaches out to me probably once a week, once every couple of weeks, Hey dad, how you doing? And I'm like, Oh, Hey, what's going on, buddy? And, nice. and we'll, and we'll bullshit, you know? And then that reminds me to get in touch with the other kids. So I'll shoot all them a text. I'll be like, Hey, you know, by the way, you know, you know I, I didn't forget about you. I'm still here. You know, like, <laughs> so I know it. And, and, and so, I think being a father, I'm not going to say it's uniquely difficult, but being a father that has been pushed away from his children through, through divorce and these things, it's, it doesn't rob you of the responsibility, but it robs you of a lot of the connection to the responsibility. I don't know if that makes sense mm -hmm. because it's not there every day. It's, it's, it's weird. I, I don't know how to say it. It doesn't mean I love my kids any less. It's just like, it's not right in front of me constantly. So it's not a constant part of my life. And so it makes, it makes me look at it in, in, I have to be very cognitive and, and observant whenever it comes to engaging with my children, because they've been kind of like a separated part of my life. It's mm -hmm. almost like a secondary part of my life, which is, which is horrible. I mean, as a father, when you start thinking about it, it really sucks. It really hurts that like this, 
thing that I feel so responsible over that I feel so much love and affection to that I want to protect and teach and, 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 and set out into the world on this, on this mission has, you know, been kind of torn away from me. And so it's, it's very hard to find a way to balance that. So what do you do? I mean, have you, have you found a method? No, I haven't. I've, I've yet to be happy with the way I handle any of this. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that I'm constantly struggling with trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so how has, uh, how has being a, tr- go ahead. Uh, I was gonna say, how is being a trucker? How's being a trucker, uh, impacted that i mean it's not it's not like my dad my dad wasn't was a business executive he traveled a lot for work but like you know he came home most nights yeah um is that that it makes it very difficult. does that impact your your relationships it, it impacts all your relationships yes it does absolutely yeah. you got to figure you're gone as a truck driver you're gone about 96 percent of the time you're not home wow. yeah so let's just say like just your average schedule of a truck driver would be gone for, let me see, 13 days home for two. And that's it. Like you're, that's, that's the way it works out. And then there are some people that are gone. Like I used to leave for two months at a time just so I could stack up money and, and have some cash on, you know, some additional cash. Um, I, I eventually, worked my way into a regional position to where I was gone for five and a half days home for one and a half days and gone, you know, and, but see my wife came, she moved here from South Africa to be with me. Right. Mm -hmm. So she moved all the way 9,000 miles from South Africa to live, to be with me in Texas. And then I was gone all the time. And so it, it, it was like, it was kind of, I, I know it was kind of like a confusing thing to her. You know, it was like, kind of like, wait, you drug me all the way over here, married me, and then you left. And now you're gone all the fucking time. Now, now that I've, I've changed jobs, I'm home every night, you know, and I have, you know, two days off instead of one and a half or whatever. And so it makes, you know, things are, we're, we're both very much, a lot happier, but, but when you're an OTR truck driver with a family, your family is, is not getting any attention. And and this is what I was saying a while ago. Like my, my entire point of doing the OTR thing of going over the road and, and driving a truck in this manner was to make sure that my family was financially set and financially cared for but I wasn't emotionally caring for them. And so, because I was absent and, Mm -hmm. and so by being absent, you are putting at risk all of your relationships for the, for the vast majority of the time. And, and balancing that is very difficult. A phone call only does so much. Yeah. Or even like a like a Zoom call or whatever it is that people are right. doing now, you know. Right. Um, I feel like too. In addition to 
and maybe even before like interpersonal relationships, you've got responsibilities to yourself, you know, to take care of your own, take care of your, you know, put on your own mask before you put it on your kids. Uh, so like, you know, I mean, keeping, keeping track of your, your health and wellness, your emotional stability and, 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 you know, spiritual life, uh, which I kind of lump those together. Like I consider emotions and spirit to be kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both kind of just the in, in, in incorporeal, like the unbodied part of you. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you, what do you think about that? I feel like I'm getting interviewed now. I thought I was interviewing you, but uh, no, I'm just playing. There. Yeah, man. That's, that's what I do. No, <laughs> no but flip. I mean, this like, dude, I, flip the I take on me. <laughs> no, I take uh, really, I take really shitty care of myself. Like I'm not, I, I, I eat bad. I'm like, I'm on a keto diet right now and I'm not even losing weight. It's weird. Yeah. Um, and I think that's because I've tried keto so many times that like, uh, and you know, gone off of it for a month and then gone back on and stuff that my body's just like, you know, calling my bluff now. Um, <laughs> so I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to start exercising, which I hate. Uh, I don't have a spiritual life, so to speak. Like, I mean, I listen to podcasts all day. If I'm not working, I'm listening to podcasts. I'm never alone with my own thoughts. Right. Um, it's, it's, and you know, I mean, it's, it's destructive. That's not, that's not constructive and it's not even neutral. It's like, it's like a destructive habit. Yeah, no, well, I don't talk much about spiritual life and I, I, I guess, I guess I should because it, there, there is, is a, a, a part of me that is spiritual, but it's not in the way that a lot of people identify spirituality. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I got into this conversation with Matt Erickson on Twitter about it. And, and this is part of the reason I consider myself agnostic. Now, I grew up, I grew up Southern Baptist, but my parents weren't really active in the church and, uh, that'll turn anybody agnostic. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to argue with you, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but, uh, no, you're absolutely right. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that are going on in the Southern Baptist church that you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. But, um, so my whole my entire issue was I would read the Bible like very intricately. I would get very detailed in in my readings and in my interpretations and trying to figure out what the Bible was saying. And I would go ask people, preachers or whoever that were supposed to be, you know, the authorities on the matter. Any of these questions that would come across in my head they would never offer a a sufficient answer. So I kind of just veered off the path like of, of Christianity in general, just because it always seemed like there was this avoidance to talk about difficult issues and, Mm -hmm. and to talk about difficult portions of biblical text, which I found to be the most interesting portions of the Bible were the difficult portions. And so I kind of like went off on my own, but I never gave up on the idea that in the Bible, there's a lot of wisdom. Mm-hmm. All right. And you can take out like, okay, there's a story. It's always stuck with me. There's a story in the Bible. When, uh, when, when Paul was it Paul, Peter, sorry, Peter, 
um, when Peter denies Christ three times. Okay. And it, if you look at the text of it, the way it came across for me, the way I read it was his name was originally Simon. Simon, if I remember the translation correctly, it's been a long time since I looked at this, but Simon meant like pebble or stone or something like that. Whereas Paul was the name, or Peter was the name Peter, that, yeah. that Jesus gave him. And Peter actually meant like rock or foundation, right? And after he denied Jesus three times and then Jesus came and found him, he had turned back to being a fisherman. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and Jesus called him Simon. So basically he demoted him. He was like, you're no longer a foundation. You're now a pebble again, you know? Right. Yeah. So in, but what I took away from that story was that when, when you, when you hit these hard times, these times of strife, when you're not happy with your own interactions with life, the way that you're reacting to things, when you, when you kind of tuck tail, when you, when you, when you reveal yourself as, as the coward you actually are, you know, and all of us are cowardice in some way, like yeah. I, all of us have a cowardice streak in us. And when you reveal yourself to as the coward you actually are, you've, you've let yourself down and you turn back to those vices that, that had held you prior to becoming the instrument or, or the tool that you had become. Right. So you, you revert back to your, your past inhibitions. And so I, I look, so when I look at the Bible, I see stories like that and I'm like, okay, there's actually something good you can take from that. That if I find myself in a, in a period of disappointment in my own abilities, if I fail at something, right? Don't give up on yourself. Don't go back to just being Joe Blow. Don't go back to mm -hmm. being what you were. Try to keep your head up and keep moving forward because you don't want to be demoted. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. I look at stories like that and I'm like, okay, there's something of value in these stories. Whether, whether these stories literally happened or not, I don't look at it like that. So the way I found my spirituality was moving out to the country. I, I move out, I love nature, always love nature. You know, one of my favorite things to do in the morning when I first wake up, I wake up at 4.30 in the morning every morning, I go sit outside on my porch and I drink coffee and I have a cigarette in the dark, in nature. There's, I mean, I mean, on, I'm on nine acres out in the middle of nowhere. I'm listening to crickets and coyotes and, you know, just nature like going. And I find that to be spiritual. And so yeah. I, I find that when you root yourself into something like that that's meaningful you find something spiritual within yourself mm -hmm. whether it's god or what it whatever it is that's not for me to decide but there there is that peace and being at peace working in a garden or or fishing or you know being part of nature that that's where i find my peace that's where i find my sanctuary 
is is being involved in that. And I love it. And so I do feel like I nurture a spiritual side of myself without intentionally nurturing a spiritual side of myself because I'm doing the things that I enjoy to do, enjoy doing. And that is spiritual to me. Yeah, that's a, that, see, that's what I wish I, that's what I wish I had for me. It's like, you know, I constantly have content being pumped into my head. Um, I think, I don't remember who you were talking to. It might've been Shane Hazel. Uh, you were talking about how like, you don't have the, you don't have the, you, you like you need a chart to to determine what's gray market and white market and black market and red market. Um, and for me, like that's the interesting stuff about agorism, for instance, but that, that translates to the whole rest of my life too. I'm so cerebral. Like I was, um, I was raised Catholic, but I was raised Catholic in Texas where everybody's Southern Baptist. So like, you know, I, I mean, I went to Southern Baptist vacation Bible school and everything. Um, so I get it. Like uh, I, I, the systematic theology of Christianity is way more interesting to me than the contemplative um, prayer of, of especially Catholicism. Um, and that has, that has followed me into adulthood where I'm not contemplative at all. Um, to me, the idea of sitting out on the porch, drinking a cup of coffee is like, it, it's just, it's not even, it's not like boring. It's just, I can't conceive of doing it. Um, I have to have something stimulating my brain. So whether it's reading Konkin rather than, rather than, rather than actually practicing agorism, which is why I no longer identify as an agorist. Um, because for me, agorism is the action. It's not, you know, believing what Konkin wrote. Right. Um, and in the same way, Christianity is about the action. It's about being Christian, not just believing the Christian doctrines. And I can, you know, I mean, I can defend the Bible and I can, and I can argue against the Bible and I can argue for and against Catholicism specifically um, until the cows come home. But like, right. that's not spirituality. That's not, that's not, that's not engaging in that responsibility to myself to grow myself um, in a, in a, in a, I, well, I, you know, I mean, I, I no longer, I guess, identify as Christian. I'm more on the agnostic side too, but uh, engaging in those spiritual practices that foster emotional growth um, is just not something I do. And it's, 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 to me, it's my biggest downfall. And from there emanates all of my other, like lack of responsibilities, um, whether it's, you know, like I'm, I've, I've hired somebody to put my podcast out. Um, so that I don't have to, so I don't have to worry about, you know, anything other than the recording. Um, you know, I, 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 I work a job and I'm pretty good at it, but like, I could be way better. Um, but I would much rather sit here and listen to podcasts and, you know, fuck around on Twitter and, and, and Facebook. Uh, and that's why, like, I've been on this kick right now of asking everybody I can come across, um, what they think, like they would tell a 24 year old who is, you know, just entering adulthood, um, I didn't say a 22 year old because, you know, a lot of 22 year olds are still like finding out what the, what they're going to do after school. But right. by 24, you've kind of, you've kind of uh, like entered the workforce, but you're also not quite sure if like the job that you're in is going to be your long-term career, that kind of thing. Um, what would you tell a 24 year old to do in order to ensure that they're successful when they're 40 and 50 and 60 and then ready to retire? Yeah. Uh, because I, I myself don't know, like I, I'm comfortable now financially, but that's 
only because I have a high paying job. It's not because I've saved since I was in my twenties. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like I, I, I couldn't retire right now if I wanted to, I probably couldn't even retire when I'm 65 right now right. on the trajectory that I'm on. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I mean, I'll go back to what I, what I responded to you yesterday, whenever you, whenever you put out that tweet is you have to set yourself goals, right? Yeah. And it sounds to me, and now I'm going to psychoanalyze you and I'm thanks. I appreciate I'm as, it. I'm as qualified as Thad, so I can do it. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> but, but it sounds to me and, and I may be wrong, but it sounds to me like you're afraid to be alone with your thoughts. Uh huh. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, it sounds to me like you're uncomfortable, but the thing of the matter is, and this is where psilocybin comes into effect. Okay, um, dude, have you been listening to my show? Is that is that what's going on? <laughs> no, I, I haven't. <laughs> okay, so I've been I, I've been so I've been uh, I've been consulting with this life coach Miguel Duque, who you may know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't okay, know. so Miguel is uh, he's a he's a he's a coach. He's a libertarian. He's an agorist, um, and he's real active in in sort of agorist communities, but mostly in the Pacific Northwest. And he's great, mm. uh, and I recommend him to anybody. Um, and he has suggested that I start getting alone with my thoughts. Anthony Samaroff, who is a bigger name in the libertarian sphere. He's a therapist and coach. Yeah. So he has said like, like, just go for a walk. Don't bring your, don't bring your headphones. Don't bring your dog. Don't bring your partner. Just go for a walk. Uh, and then I started interviewing people and they're like, dude, you need to do mushrooms or you need to do a, a you need to do a, um, what's the, what's the, what's the South American native ayahuasca. ayahuasca you need to do an ayahuasca ritual or you need to do shrooms or like just 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 find somebody to trips at you and you know just do shrooms just do it and i've never done any of that stuff i've never done anything from taking a walk without headphones to a, a full-blown ayahuasca ceremony um and i feel like psilocybin is probably where it's at uh i'm scared because um so one of the people I interviewed was Mike Bracatelli, Bracatelli, however you say it. Uh, he hosts the Mikeadelic podcast, and um, he was like, "Man, when I when I when I did my when I did my first big trip, uh, I came home and I immediately quit my job, um, and I decided that I needed to I needed to go off on my own. And to me, that is terrifying. I do not want to quit my job. I do not want to like you know take a look at all of my all of the shit that's in my life that uh, I probably should let go of." Um, and and that's what's that so that's what's really standing in my way is like the pre-work before actually taking that leap does that make sense yeah well and this is where i was going like this is where i stand by exactly what i what i tweeted back at you whenever uh you asked about what would you what advice would you give a 24 year old uh-huh. set yourself small goals that are attainable yeah and and reward yourself for reaching them so let's say, let's say, and I'm not calling you a drunk, uh, but let's say every day you get home from work, right? And you, you drink, uh, two glasses of whiskey, let's just say, right? So you're not allowed to have those two glasses of whiskey until you have 10 minutes of silence alone. Okay. You yeah. see what I'm saying? Like, yep. just, I'm, this is what I was saying. Like whenever I was saying set goals and then give yourself a reward, like instead of like, I deserve that whiskey for going to work and listen to podcasts all day and doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm going to wait until I do something that is outside of my comfort zone. And then I'm going to allow myself to have those two glasses mm -hmm. of whiskey. You see what I'm saying? And so, so give yourself 
a, a goal to, to reach and then reward yourself for reaching that goal, but don't make the goal unattainable. You have to make it attainable, yeah. right? You know, you're not going to sit there for an hour in silence. Like, you know, this, it's not going to happen. You're not going to allow it to happen. Right? So give yourself five minutes the first week, 10 minutes, the second week, build yourself up to the point where you can sit there with yourself for an hour. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, I think also, and this gets into, this gets into personal finance, which, uh, which, you know, I mean, everybody, everybody kind of struggles with, with finances at one point in their life or another. Um, I'm still currently, yeah, I'm currently (laughs) digging, I'm currently digging myself out, which is great. Like this is, this is the first time I've actually felt accomplished financially, which is, you know, it's wonderful. Um, but, uh, God, I wish I could remember her name. She's going to be on my podcast in a month and I can't remember her name, but she's a, she's a, she's a homeopath. Like she's, she, she practices natural medicine. Um, but her first step was to start meditating and she used the mantra, my money is my money. And then somebody else on the Twitter also said something similar. Um, I didn't, I didn't understand what she meant by my money is my money. Somebody else though, uh, somebody else clarified on the Twitter Thing. It, was, it was completely disconnected from what she said, but uh, they were like, set aside, set aside money for yourself that you're going to save and not touch until it's ready to be touched and repeat the mantra to yourself that some of my income is just mine. Like mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's not targets. It's not the movie theaters. It's not ticket masters. It's sure as shit, not the governments. It's just mine. And I'm going to put it aside for when I'm ready to, when I'm ready to use it, but that time is not now. And to me, that is so powerful. I never even thought about it like that, that like I, you know, I mean, I make a budget and when I allocate that budget, some of that money's going to MasterCard to pay off my, my credit card. And some of it's going to entertainment to, you know, pay for the, pay for the concert tickets or whatever. Bunch of it's going to food because I like to eat at restaurants Um, and I buy a lot of groceries. And so a lot of it's going to Target or Cub Foods or whatever. Um, but, and, and I do, I said, I do save, like I put, I put, um, a certain amount every week into, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum and, and a few other cryptos, because that's where I feel like the, the, the best place to put money is right now. Um, but I don't think of it as mine. Right. And, and I think personalizing that, um, rather than, rather than like saying, uh, this money belongs to, you know, the future, whatever that, whatever that is like the universe, if I personalize it and say, this is mine for when I'm ready to use it, then uh, that makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, it's, it's, it's really interesting to me that those two people both suggested that as like a meditation mantra, not just like a thing to believe, but a thing to completely internalize. Um, And, and I don't, I don't know why that rubs me the wrong way. I guess it rubs me the wrong way because I think of money and spirituality as like opposites. Whereas, you know, in real life, I mean, it plays such a huge role in your relationship with your, with your world and with your God, if you have one. Um, And like with your, just, just (coughs) everything with the universe, I guess, which, you know, that's trite and, and, and cliche, but you know, I mean, I I guess it makes sense. Like the, your, your relationship with the universe really does include your relationship with like your role as a consumer or saver. Right. Yeah. I've heard it. I've heard it said a different way. I haven't heard the, my money is my money, but, uh, I have a friend of mine, CJ Ortiz, 
um, who's uh, 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 a coach, uh, a self-help coach uh, out of, well, he was out of Fort Worth. I think he's in North Carolina now, but uh, hmm. he, he runs the metal motivation page and um, he, he utilizes like heavy metal, like inspiration to motivate people. And he, he uses that attitude to like as a motivational tool. And one of the things he always used to say was pay yourself first before you pay anybody mm. else, pay yourself, you know? And, and so, yeah, there, and yes, there is something spiritual to that. And, and here's where I would go with that is the market in a sense is a God mm -hmm. that it operates on, on a level that none of us can completely comprehend in, in an omnipotent way, right? It's yeah. omnipresent, omnipotent. It's always there, right? And so, so there, there is this spirituality to the market and the way that the market operates and to the way that we interact with the market and with each other that is beyond our comprehension in a lot of ways. So I don't think it's necessarily trite to to think of the market or or money in some spiritual manner yes baby oh, are you trying to dodge the camera i did not think that you had it pointed right at me he saw you but he doesn't care it's all right tell her hi <laughs> james says hi oh my god she's so pretty he said you're so pretty oh thank you <laughs> she just woke up from a nap so you gotta bring me. You gotta bring the tobacco back eventually. <laughs> uh, but yeah, dude, you married up. Way to go! <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had to import her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's much more entertaining than I am, too. Well, that's all right. Um. Anyway, so you were talking about the the metal guy and pay yourself first. So much of the focus of my podcast is to point out abuses of power and how bad things have gotten and the direction in which we're heading as a society. And it can be a real black pill. I've partnered up with Richard Grove to offer my listeners an opportunity to sign up to his autonomy course. Uh, the autonomy course is designed for people looking for solutions, people that want to shape their own future, people that are not willing to be at the behest of large corporations or the United States government or the banking system. The autonomy course is designed for those of you who wish to have complete control of the reins of your life, who are looking to be successful, that to thrive and not just survive, to provide for your family by utilizing your existing skills and learning how to market and sell those skills in order to be your own boss or learn new skills in order to leverage that into a new career opportunity. So if there's a job out there you've been trying to get or you've been wishing you could get, but you just don't have the skills for it, the autonomy course is the place for you to start to learn how to land that position to learn how to market yourself better to gain confidence and to be surrounded by a community of like-minded people 
that will encourage you and help you along the way. So use my affiliate links and go check out the autonomy course. It could be right for you. Yeah. Yeah. So I, what I was trying to, what I was saying was like the way the market works is it is almost like a God and there is almost <laughs> like the spirituality to the way it operates. You know, the, the omnipresent omnipotent kind of idea op is, is the market. It's always there. <laughs> it's always existing. It's always operating. It's, it's, it's interactive in between all of us at all times and it doesn't discriminate in any way, shape or form. Right. Well, and, and the thing is, uh, at least Christians, and I think a lot of, a lot of faiths believe that their deity, that God is love. And, uh, what's really funny is that Jeffrey Tucker, who I, I don't remember if we were recording or not, but we talked some shit about Jeffrey Tucker earlier. Um, but he's a, he's a fantastic libertarian thinker. Mm. Uh, he wrote a whole book called the market loves you. Like, you. it's not just that the market is like a deity, like it is as close to excuse me the baby will you bring me a beer please all right sorry (laughs) it is as close to like the religious image of god as we have on earth Mm. and that's why like that's why liberty and freedom um are so are so like attractive to some people and terrifying to other people you know i mean like it's intimidating um to look in the face of god Especially, or, or it, even if that God is something that might be slightly flawed, like a like a human, uh, a human created market. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, this. I mean, and I, I we we announced this podcast. We were like, we're talking about responsibility, but this all t- ties into responsibility, yeah. right? Yeah, totally. And so, so there's this responsibility that the market, like just like God demands responsibility you know in 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 your actions and your sins and you you take responsibility you have to you have to then uh repent of your sins and this that and the other the market mm-hmm. demands responsibility too because you're responsible for your actions and you get this i mean and in the market in a, in some ways is very high time preference and it's immediate that the way you get smacked for some of the mistakes you make. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so there is this, there is this responsibility that you have in interacting in the market and taking care of your family. You have to learn how to do this. This is not something that there is a natural phenomenon of interaction between people, but it is not natural for somebody to understand how to be successful in the marketplace. And you have to learn and you have to become responsible to yourself and to your customers in order to be successful in the marketplace. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, if you get smacked down by the market or if you get smacked down by, you know, your get the fuck back up, don't yeah. be a bitch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that's what, that's what, um, I mean, the, the root of the word sin is not like disappointing God or like hurting somebody. It's missing right. the mark. Right. Like you're shooting an arrow and you, and you just, you just miss the target. Right. So fucking shoot your next arrow, man. Like, <laughs> go for you know, it. get over it. You're, yeah. you're, you're still a good person. You have fucked up once. It doesn't mean you have to keep fucking up. And in fact, if you keep fucking up, 
you're just going to continue destroying yourself and not only destroying yourself, but destroying your relationships with other people, which like they could benefit from if you would, if you would stop fucking up, like <laughs> just stop missing the mark. Like, yeah, you know. I mean, if you fuck up, right. And then you're like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to make some adjustments and I'm going to try again. And you fuck up again. You make some adjustments and you try again and you're like, I'm fuck up again. You're learning. That's learning. That's what you're learning, learning is. Exactly. You, you yeah. got to fail. You're not going to, you know, I, yep. the, the, one of the greatest fucking, um, scenes of any movie ever was, uh, what was it? Rocky five. Whenever he's talking to his son and he's talking about getting knocked the fuck down. He's like, it's not about how hard you can hit. It's about how hard, how many times you can get knocked down and keep getting the fuck back up. Yeah. And that's one of the best fucking lines of advice, period. End of sentence in life, period. Because life's going to kick you. It's going to knock you the fuck down. You're going to get the shit beat out of you every once in a while by life. You just got to keep getting up, man. You just got to keep getting up and you got to keep moving forward. You know, and when you, when you have these responsibilities, when you have a wife, when you have a family, when you have, you know, a mortgage, when you have property to take care of, you can't lay around and feel sorry for yourself. Mm -hmm. You have to take on responsibility mm -hmm. to move forward with your life. If you don't voluntarily take on these responsibilities, then you're just a fucking child living in your parents' basement. Yep. And there are a lot of those. Or so yep. I, even so if you're I not hear. literally living in your parents' basement, you might as well be. You might as well. You know? Yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> uh, cool. So what else? So what else? We've we've covered responsibility to your kids. We've covered responsibility to yourself, which I think, like what we've all what we've been talking about for the last you know good chunk of this conversation is really just taking care of yourself, like loving yourself. Yeah. Uh, it I it took me a real it was really really tough <clears> for me <throat> to say I love myself, like just to speak those words. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, because making an I statement is tough for guys. Uh, using the word love is tough for people who uh, have low self esteem and you know, talking about myself was never, it never came naturally to me. I would much rather talk about other people so that I didn't have to look at myself. Um, right. And so like just the being able, you were talking about small goals earlier, being able to utter the phrase, I love myself is a, is a really tiny goal. That's really tough for a lot of people. So like, you know, try to try to, you know, if you're, if you're listening to this podcast and you want some advice from, from me, the, the, the fuck up, say, I love myself, like learn how to say it look into the mirror even it sounds cheesy but like it's it's real like those daily affirmations that people put on their mirrors or whatever uh it's it's the, the, it's there for a reason like the, that that advice is given by therapists and life coaches and motivational speakers and whatever for a reason every every entrepreneur i have ever listened to give speeches on being successful has always said You back? <laughs> I hate Zoom. It says you're muted, if you can hear me. Why don't we turn off video though, just to save the save the bandwidth? I can't hear you still. By the way, 
There we go. Is that better? All right, now I can hear you. Yeah, yeah we're good. It, it switched my microphones off. I was like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, dude. <laughs> Zoom is Zoom is so messed up when it comes to stuff like that. I don't I don't know what just happened. <laughs> it's like I've never had that happen before. Um, anyway, what, what was I saying? Uh, so I said you have to tell yourself you love yourself. I don't remember where I was going from there. I know I was I was starting to say something, but I can't remember where I was going from there. Yeah, but you know, um, we do have a responsibility. Um, you know, your responsibility first, first and foremost, is to yourself, obviously, mm-hmm. and then, then your your family. Now, what family that is that you choose to be responsible to. That, that is completely up to you. It does not have to be blood relation. It could be somebody you chose to marry. It could be your children. That's a really good point. It, it could be your just your best friends. It, I mean, but, but you learn to be independent by taking on these responsibilities, these tasks. You don't learn to be independent by demanding independence. But just saying I have a right to something does not make you an independent person. Doesn't make yeah. you uh, capable of, of of functioning in the world. That the world will pass you by, right? And it will, it will, like you said, it will knock you the fuck down. Mm-hmm. And you're gonna have to pick yourself back up, and you're gonna have to figure this shit out on your own. So, yeah, like. Your 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 responsibilities should be chosen wisely. If you have mm-hmm. a if you have shitty fucking parents who are were fucking abusive to you your entire life, I'm not saying you have to you have to feel some responsibility to these people. What you should do though is seek out a tribe that you are comfortable within and 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 find your responsibility within that tribe. Yeah. You know and. Where I have always had an issue, and maybe you can help me like kind of iron this out, is your responsibility to society or community. Because I've always had an issue with this. I like, all right, so like my neighbor, I have a responsibility to not go fuck with his shit, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't have a responsibility to do anything for him. You know, if I don't like the guy and I just leave him alone and ignore him, like I whatever you know i've fulfilled my responsibility of not fucking with his shit yeah so the positive responsibilities whenever it comes outside of the family structure that you've personally chosen to be engaged within it it's like all right so like where does this come in like how do you how do you balance this how do you figure this shit out mm-hmm. well i mean i i I think that gets back to um, what I was saying earlier about responsibility. And actually, um, God, there's a quote, and I can't remember who it's from. For God's sake, uh, it's something like my responsibility is not is not it's not something that's like given to me. It's something that I choose. And I mean, there's trade offs. Like if you if you choose not to fuck with your neighbor's stuff, great, you are doing the absolute bare minimum. But right. like, if you want to be friends with your neighbor then you're gonna have to do a little bit more than just not mess with them. Like you're gonna have to actually go out of your way, offer to water his plants when you're, when he's on vacation or like, you know, 
I mean, bring his newspaper up to the door, whatever it is that, 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 that fosters that relationship. Um, I wouldn't say that it's a responsibility to him. It might even be a responsibility to yourself. I mean, there are very few people who can live as hermits, you know? Yeah. And so in order to build a relationship with another human being, uh, which is for most people a human need, then we have to enact, not enact, but act on, you know, those things which will foster a relationship. Yeah. Which makes it a responsibility more to yourself than to the other person. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's what it all boils down to, you know? I mean, it's almost egoist. Yeah. You look at it like that. Who was just talking about Sterner? Was that Jose? Somebody was just talking about her, Sterner. Uh, and, you know, I mean, it really gets back to that. Yeah. You're, your primary, and you just said it, your primary responsibility is to yourself. And maybe that's all that really matters. Well, and it's no, like, that said, you know, if your neighbor is, if your neighbor is, you know, putting himself in a really dangerous situation, do you have an obligation to rescue him from that danger? If he's drowning or, you know, uh, about to step on a rattlesnake nest or whatever? No, I, I don't think you have an obligation you know, in this, this was one of the things I always struggled with, with Rand, right? Mm -hmm. Was, is, was her, people are not charitable for the other person. They're charitable because of their own selfish desires. Yeah. Right. And if you were going to do something to save somebody's life, in many cases, well, I don't know. I, I don't know. I've never been in a situation to where I saw somebody in need of a life-saving tactic, right? So I, I couldn't say how I'd react or what would go through my mind. Mm -hmm. But but her argument was basically you're doing it for yourself. And people kind of like took this out of context. But what she's saying is that if you're going to give to charities... Don't do it for the sake of the people that are requiring the charity. Do it for yourself. And so what she's saying is make yourself feel better about being a good person by giving to charities. She's not saying be selfish and don't give to charities. Yeah. She's, she's saying, saying she's saying boost your own ego by giving to charities. Yeah. That's what she's saying. In, you know? in giving to charity, you are being selfish and that's okay. Right, exactly. And, but I, I mean, I can't tell you, I, I have a hard time believing like that she was completely right because I have a hard time believing that somebody who's looking at a life and death situation and makes a spur of the moment decision to, to help or interact actually goes through this, like, this is going to make me a good person, you know, and yeah, like, yeah. you know, kind of goes through that conscious thought process of like, well, I'm going to do this because I want to be looked at as a good person. So there is an instinct to people to help others. There, There's something there. And I don't know if it's a, a responsibility that we feel for each other mm -hmm. or if it's just compassion. I, I don't really know. I mean, like, 
I don't, I, I can't pretend to understand human nature. Uh, like I, I mean, I, I, I tend to agree with Rand and more so with Sterner that like every, and, and even Mises, I mean, you know, everything that we do is a means to an end right. and we respond to those incentives. We, we respond to incentives in order right. to meet those ends. Like, yes. so in some sense, literally everything we do is, is an act of selfishness and um, therefore like fulfilling our responsibilities to ourselves. And so, and maybe, maybe saving your neighbor if he's drowning is really just like, even if you don't want to be friends with that dude, or even if it's not your neighbor, maybe it's just a stranger who you come across in, you know, in a, in a lake who's drowning. I mean, up here in Minnesota, we have people die from ice fishing accidents all the time because they fall into the ice. Um, And like, personally, I couldn't live with myself if I didn't, if I didn't do everything I could in order to bring that person up out of the water and then uh, uh, try to resuscitate them or call paramedics in order to, to get their, get their life saved. Um, so even in that case, I wouldn't be acting strictly for them. And so maybe I really am just acting in order to alleviate my potential sense of guilt. Yeah. Which, you know, it sounds, it sounds terrible to somebody like, you know, if this is the very first episode of year zero, you've ever heard, that probably sounds like an awful thing to say. Um, (laughs) But, but, but like, it's, it's real. Like that's, that's, that's the reality. We respond to incentives and the incentive is not feeling awful for the rest of my life that I let somebody die. Yeah. Well, there was that guy um, that was Thad's friend that just, that just got shot uh a few weeks yes ago. in denver yeah, yeah the guy that got murdered by the cop right right and he had rushed into a situation where there was an active shooter mm-hmm. and, and and you you look at it and you think about it and and you're like this guy was a hero you know, i i can't i know his first name was johnny i can't remember what his last yep. name was so forgive me there but uh the the guy was a hero. He he ran into a situation where there was an active shooter, and he defused the situation. He put the shooter down. You know, he pulled his own firearm, put the shooter down, and then the cops came in and shot him. And it's almost like there's, I don't know. It's hard not to ascribe some sort of like like uh blame there to the to the police it, it really feels like it, especially since last year and coming into this year that there's this concerted effort to stop individuals from helping each other mm-hmm. and it wouldn't surprise me if they knew he wasn't the shooter they were after when they shot him you know and and that there's this it was it was this effort to prove that individuals with arms cannot save people from other individuals with arms and I, I hate to think that way, but it's so hard not to think that way in in modern society. Uh, at yeah. least, 
at least from my perspective. Well, but, and even if it's not, even if it's not specifically like that cop shot that guy because he didn't think that he was the actual uh, person who was putting other people in danger. Um, that's how the that's how the the media is going to spin it. I mean, up here in Minneapolis, right after right after Johnny was shot, we had a uh, we had Winston Smith shot um, by the U.S. Marshals of all people who were pursuing him for uh, a charge of felon in possession of a firearm, which like. You know, I mean, if you're libertarian, you don't think people forfeit their Second Amendment rights no matter what. Like, you know, if you're not in prison, then you got you've got the right to defend yourself. Right. Um, and that made that made all the news in the world because this guy was a bad guy. He he didn't get the protests that George Floyd did. Who you know, arguably George Floyd was also a bad guy. I mean, he had felony convictions and he beat a woman with with a gun and he was you know high on 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 uh whatever that whatever that that fentanyl, that drug is fentanyl. that he took fentanyl. Thank you. Um. But, you know, I mean, he wasn't possessing a gun and importantly, he wasn't possessing a gun while an anti-gun president was in charge. Like that's that's what this is. It's like the narrative is if you if you have a gun and you're not supposed to have one, then you're going to die by the by the hands of the cops. If you have a gun and you're allowed to have one and you think that you can be some sort of vigilante and go out and save people's lives. No, you're no hero. Like we're, we're still going to shoot you. And. And I, like, I don't know if, if Johnny's death would have been spun the same way that it's spun now if it had been a year ago when Trump was president. Just like I don't know if, uh, if George Floyd's death would be spun the same way it was a year ago if uh, there was a different president. Like, like, like if Kamala Harris is president, I have a feeling the George Floyd death, the, the narrative surrounding it would be completely different. I hate to bring politics up when we're talking about personal responsibility, but this is, this is kind of a big deal too, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know about that because I mean, the BLM protests started under Obama. So Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily the case. No, I mean there there there's an there is an element of politics that are that is involved in personal responsibility because the fact of the matter is is I wouldn't even do this, this podcast if it wasn't for like, I was apolitical up until mm -hmm. 2015. I didn't give a shit about politics. I didn't yeah. give a fuck about these people. I didn't pay any attention. I hadn't read a fucking word of fucking political philosophy. I didn't give a shit. I don't, I didn't care who they were. I didn't care what they had to say. I didn't, I didn't care. And, and, and part of that is my, you know, my generation, you know, um, we, you know, we're Gen Xers. We were kind of like the last of latchkey kids. We were just kind of mm. like, yeah, we just do our own shit, you know? And, and then it, they started impeding upon our, not only our rights, but our responsibilities. They started mm -hmm. making our responsibilities more difficult to, to engage in. Yep. And, and that's what got me involved in politics. You know, I told you earlier, I was sitting, and I've said this on the podcast quite a few times. 23 years old, I had gotten out of the military. I'd fallen eight months behind on child support, um, unable to find a job. This was during the recession under under Clinton, right after uh, Bush had left office, or mm. right after Clinton had left office when Bush had just taken office. And, oh, yeah, yeah. I feel like right. the dot-com bubble. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was like 2003. We're in in the middle of a recession. There's not a lot of work. I couldn't find a job. I had just gotten out of the military. I couldn't find a job. And uh, 
it took me it took me months like eight months to find a job and i remember going after i had already found a job i was i was i had i'd been trained to be a truck driver at this time i was working for halliburton and i had a i had an appointment with the attorney general and my uh ex-wife and the uh attorney general looks her in the eye and says so do you think we should put him in jail or do you think um he's working sufficiently and paying child support sufficiently and I'm like, why the hell does she get to choose? What qualifies her to choose whether or not I go to jail? That makes no sense to me. And and so that was one thing. And then just watching this happen over and over again to people I know. I know a guy who spent $70,000 trying to get his children, custody of his children, because their mother had gotten a DUI with them in the car and he couldn't get custody of them. Period. And it's like, wait, wait, what the hell is going on? I always say the fastest way to radicalize a father is to put them in family court. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, but they get in the way of your responsibility just as much as anything else. You know, they may take responsibility off of some of these people's shoulders, like pull yourself up by the bootstraps now is like a racist, you know, term or whatever, uh-huh. whatever. Like look at Quincy, you know, my buddy Quincy is driving truck. He's making like 65 to $70,000 a year. He's doing good for himself. The dude, before he started driving a truck, he'd been sitting on a couch smoking fucking pot for fucking years. And just decided one day I got to do something about my life and started driving mm-hmm. truck. And now he's fucking, now he's, he's a fucking professional truck driver and he's making a life for himself. Yeah. And it don't, I don't care. It doesn't matter that he's a black dude or a white dude or whatever color he is. Like the dude grab, he pulled himself up by his bootstraps. He said, if it's up to anybody, it's up to me. You know, there was a, I heard a guy you know, we were talking about motivational speakers earlier. And I remember listening, I think the guy's name was Les Brown. And he had said, he had made it, he had said, uh, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. And, and I, that's always stuck with me. Well, he also yeah. said, it's, it's not over until I win. Well, you got that don't quit <laughs> attitude. I love that shit. Like don't yeah. fucking quit, you know? So, but I always liked that. Because it was always like, all right, yeah, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. I like, I can't depend on anybody else. I have to take responsibility for myself, for my own actions, for my own life, for my own family. And I have to figure this out. The supply chain has been broken for over a fucking year, right? I'm not going to bitch to the government about the supply chain being broken. What am I going to do? I'm going to go out. I'm going to farm. I'm going to fucking grow my own vegetables. I have a fucking stocked pond in my backyard. I can go catch my own fucking food if I need to. So if I go to the grocery store and there's no groceries at the grocery store, who who's on the hook for that? Not the fucking, not the government, not Market Basket, not Kroger, not fucking Sam's Club. It's me. I'm the one who has to put food on the table. So how am I going to get that food on the table? You know, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. And that, that's all there is to it. That's what responsibility is all about. Right. Yeah. That's a, that's, that's absolutely true. Like, um, 
what if like what if i get fired from my job like i mean i've got a podcast it's not very well monetized uh i work for thad a little bit. yeah i know it's true but uh you know i mean i work for thad um he's paying me i i guess i could put in more more consulting hours for him uh but like it's not going to replace my income so like i mean and that's not my employer's problem. Like if they no longer need my services or if my services are not meeting the expectations that they've set for me, then that's, that's like, that's an issue that they're going to deal with by getting rid, getting rid of me. And I can't do anything about that by complaining to my friends or, uh, <coughs> you know, begging them to have mercy or whatever. Like, that's just, that's just the way things are. Um, you promote autonomy the uh the course from richard grove mm -hmm. and like i mean that's what that's kind of all about is uh you, you, like literally pull not literally obviously there's no way to literally pull yourself up by your bootstraps but hold on figuratively figuratively pull, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps you know i mean that's what autonomy is all about right and that's what the word means <laughs> you know is it's it's, it's creating a law for yourself, not, not from your employer, not from the supply chains and the government and all that other stuff. Like it's, it's, it's becoming your own person and being as self-reliant as you possibly can be in 2021 in the United States of America or wherever you live. Yeah. Well, you have to, you have to create your, your own, like, you know, pair Per Bylin uh, says this perfectly. He says um, the uh, the natural state is poverty. So mm -hmm. the question yeah. isn't isn't why people are poor; it's how people get rich. Like that's the yep. question. And and so um, we you have to think about that, and that's part of responsibility is thinking about what do people do. You know, my wife she runs her own business now. Like she she came to the U.S. Maybe try turning off your video. Yeah, I might. I'm gonna do that. Okay, we're we're gonna we're gonna end here in a second. Yeah, cool. Okay. Uh, the last thing I heard was my wife came to the U.S. Just so you know. Okay. Yeah. So so my wife came to the U.S. She tried working for. She was a paralegal in South Africa. She uh -huh. tried working for uh, law firms here in Texas, or and. And she didn't like the environment of the way. And we've heard, I mean, you've heard Thad talk about this. I've heard Thad talk about this, about the the work environment in the U.S. and the way it's set up. And I never thought anything of it until I actually talked to my wife about it. Mm -hmm. And she was she was telling me how isolated she felt. She was in an office with like, you know, 15, 20 other people, but she felt completely isolated in that cubicle and completely shut off. And expected to just sit there quietly and do her work. Whereas in South Africa, she would be sitting at a table with like four or five other girls. And they'd all be like chatting and talking and, oh. and working all at the same time. It was a completely different experience for her. And she's a big people person. Like much more so than I am. And so so she was like, and then and then her boss was a complete dick on top of it. So like there, there was that too. So she decided like, I can't do this. So we seeked out ways 
that she could create income from the house and work mm -hmm. from home. And so she, we found the, the, the opportunity of her becoming a virtual assistant. Basically, she does administrative work for small businesses all around the country. She has a, she just signed a new, like one or two new clients here this week. Um, and, and so she's, and she's actually possibly looking at starting to hire, you know, um, other virtual, other administrators to take on some of these clients here in the near future, because she's starting to take on more clients than she can handle on her own. But that didn't happen because we were dependent on her employer to make the work environment more suitable for her. It happened because we took responsibility for her happiness and figured out a way to make her more happy. Mm -hmm. And so things and, and things weren't perfect at first. There was a time where she was working for the person she hated to work for and being a virtual assistant. And it took her a while to, to replace her income. You know what I'm saying? And, but we, but we took that responsibility upon ourselves and, and did that ourselves. We didn't wait on somebody else to do that for us. And that's what responsibility is all about. It's, you can't be waiting on somebody else to do it for you. You have to take some initiative and do it yourself. That ambition you have within you to be something is nothing but a dream unless you set a plan in motion to accomplish it. And then it becomes a goal. A dream is nothing without action. Once, a, once you enact a plan to reach that dream, that dream now is a goal. Yeah. Amen. I mean, that's, and that gets back, brings us back full circle to the, the Harry Brown quote, which I've ever, I've actually pulled up. Um, freedom and responsibility aren't interconnected things. They are the same thing. Like if you're not acting upon the responsibilities that you have to yourself and by extension, to the other people in your lives, to the society that you live in, et cetera, and so forth, then you are not free. Like, and this is, and I know we need, we need to, we need to wrap up, but like, no, this, is, your time, this, man. Don't worry this is the, sorry, if I hit my microphone, if that, if that made a big bump, uh, the, the unifying factor between like these different factions, um, the agorists who are way the hell over here, um, where everything is is their own autonomous res responsibility to the LP people who are um, <coughs> whose responsibility is like political, uh, but still, you know, th they're looking for this freedom through political means, or like the Matt Erickson in the middle, where you know you're you're kind of hopeless when it comes to politics. Yeah, politics matters, so maybe the aggregates are wrong, um, but like you're not going to change anything by doing the the LP strategy. So don't bother with that. Um, but, you know, make a lot of money so that the politics just kind of stop mattering to you, regardless of where you land on this big debate that's completely dividing the libertarian movement right now, but shouldn't be. The, what really matters is that if you want freedom, you have to act on the responsibilities that you have to yourself. And by extension, like I said, to your friends and family and your society that you live in and so on and so forth. Mm. Um and so I'm really glad that we had this conversation, Tommy. Like th this isn't something that I really thought about much. Uh, yeah, no, you you brought that that last bit up, man, and that's something I've been hammering on because I identify as an agorist, right? 
And I've been saying for months, and I told this to Sal the other day whenever I had Sal on my podcast. Mm-hmm. I don't give a shit what you do one day every two years. What's it's what you do with the rest of your time that actually makes a fucking difference. Yep. Yep. That's so go vote. I don't give a shit. Go vote. <laughs> I don't care. Do yeah. it. I don't care if you go vote. But taking that responsibility, being a responsible adult and actually like doing what it ma- what adults do and being an adult, that's what matters. That's mm-hmm. where we're going to find freedom. Amen. And that's what Harry Brown wrote about in how I found freedom in an unfree world. He didn't he didn't vote himself freedom, you know? So, you know, he took responsibility and he went out and he figured it out. And that's what we got to do. Like, I don't care if you vote. Like, I'm not going to insult you if you vote. I, I don't personally do it. You know, like I always said, if tech, if Texit was actually going to make the referendum to uh, for Texas secession was actually going to be on the ballot, I would have actually registered and gone and voted for that. But I don't go vote normally, but I don't care. Go vote. I don't give a shit. I'm not one of those agoras that is going to insult you for voting. You do what you do. Like, I don't give a shit. But don't blame me that that circumstances in your life are bad because I didn't go vote. Because me not voting yeah. is not what made your life bad. Dude. Oh, man. <laughs> From your mouth to God's ears. Jesus. That's, <laughs> man. All right, man. Well, I you know, I mean, it's not my show, but I think that's probably a good way. No, to no, we're good, dude. I, I really appreciate it. Thanks for sticking with the difficulties we had, whatever the yeah, hell totally. was. I don't, I've never had that happen. So that was really strange. I, I yeah. Our zoom, our zoom crashed like three times in the end. Yeah. That was really hopefully fucking it, weird. Hopefully it's cohesive, but yeah, I hope so. Audience, but, uh, I, think, I think, I think it was a great chat. I think this is great. I I've actually experienced some personal growth from talking to you. So, uh, that doesn't happen often. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, man. Well, you're, you're stubborn. I get it. You know, yeah, it really, that's, that's the thing. All right, cool. <laughs> All right, brother. <laughs> appreciate you. oh hey y'all y'all can find me too go go to oh go i'm to black- sorry yeah plug please i'm sorry no no problem uh blackbirdpodcast.com you can uh follow my podcasts and writings when they come out um and then james lj on twitter awesome dude i'll i'll make sure uh to put that in the show notes all that's in your twitter bio yeah all right cool i'll put it all in the show notes we'll have all those links there dude cool and uh we'll see you up on the libertarian institute tomorrow Nice. So, all right, man. I'm going to stop the recording. You want to be a hero? Said you're just a slave. All your good intentions. Took you to your grave. Your pride is how they killed you. With the flag you wave just like a fool. They promised you a mountain, gifted you a stone. They demanded that you throw it into your neighbor's home and then seize all that they worked for and give it to the throne just like a tool. Seems to me humanity is not 
got something that they're teaching us in school. They dumbs down all around propaganda, their pollution. They set a cage up on the stage, a facade for a solution. They build a wall, block them all from this mental institution. It's insane.